This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Hello, this is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus, the podcast where we look at different aspects of ADHD and dispel some of the myth information about it. In today's show, I continue my discussion with Elaine Taylor-Klaus on the impact model of collaborative parenting. We take an in-depth look at applying the model to the always challenging task of homework, getting started, staying with it, finishing up, and planning how to get it turned in. Uh, Yes, that last step always seems to be difficult. Parents move through different roles as their child moves through the developmental and emotional stages of their lives, with young children as director, next as a guide, then in early teen years, support, and finally, in late teens, the advisor as your teen matures into self-management. Elaine, welcome back. Thank you. It is truly always a pleasure to be in conversation with you, so I'm looking forward to it. The first step that happens is the parent realizes Something's not working, and I need help. Yeah. So then how does one move them from, I need help, I'm frustrated, it's not working, to, okay, let's look at the first step. Is it something where parents, for instance, when there is all the emotional stuff that's built up, do you find that it helps parents to do some counseling in terms of processing those emotions as they're also working through the impact model? Do you suggest, you know, you may want to talk with a counselor to sort this out? I think, you know, I think it depends on what's going on with the parent. Uh, you know, when my kids were younger and I was struggling, I went into therapy for a while and, you know, therapy was helpful for me to manage my emotions, particularly um, mm-hmm. as, an, as a late-diagnosed adult with ADD. You know, I've yeah, been treating for anxiety for a long time before we figured out it was ADD, ADHD. Right. The parents um, learning. But, but I have to be honest with you, and, I, and this is no aspersions on therapy, but what I needed was not a therapist. What I needed was a Sherpa. I needed a guide. That's why, that's why things changed when I discovered coaching. Mm-hmm. I'd been in therapy, and therapy was emotionally supportive, I wasn't changing anything in my home. And what I needed was to improve what was happening in my home. And that's where coaching was a much more, for me, and for a lot of people I work with, a much more effective modality because it was very present and future focused in a healing context. I mean, the therapy, the coaching that I do has a therapeutic bent to it, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, I often say coaching may not be therapy, but it certainly is therapeutic. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I've done a lot of training and a lot of work. And so the work that we do in Impact Parents is, is a therapeutic style of coaching because we are dealing with people with, with mental health conditions and attention issues and, 
learning disabilities. And so we, we're, you have to understand what's going on with those issues in order to coach effectively. So there, there's a kind of a blend. But where I think parents often need help, even, even now, like I've explained this model and parents could hear it and learn it or they could read the book. And, and even with that, at some point, it's very hard to do this without some support, without some yeah. conversation. Like I was talking to a, a mom the other day who's also a coach. She's a she doesn't work with with parents or kids, but she's a, a executive coach. So she's very well versed in coaching. And in fact, I've coached a lot of coaches over the years on their parenting because they understand the coaching, but learning how we're practicing how to implement it in your own home is a different situation because I'm not, I don't want parents to become their kid's coach. We're not training anybody to be, to coach your kid. Right. You want, I want you to be your kid's parent, but we are training people in skills that they can use to improve their communication dynamics with their kids and, mm -hmm. and therefore improve the problem solving and improve their outcomes and improve their collaboration. At the, at the end of the day, we're all about collaborative problem solving with kids. Mm -hmm. And and that it's a skill and then it needs practice and practice often needs support. You know, if you look at the research, what's recommended treatment for kids with ADHD is for the adults in their lives to get behavior therapy training. And mm -hmm. what is behavior therapy training? It's yeah, it's, it's this, it's right? Behaviors. Yeah. Change the behaviors, but change the environment. And what's recommended to make it effective is to do it in community with other parents so you're not alone and to do it with a practitioner where you're able to get feedback and input. You know, so when we we have a program called Sanity School and the book is kind of the companion guide for Sanity School. It's a six class course. When we teach it, it's an on demand course. Parents can do it at their own pace, but for three months they get access to office hours where they can come and talk to us and ask questions mm -hmm. and get help and get feedback. Because it's it's implementation that's the challenge, even for for the most experienced coaches. I mean, Diane and I have had each other all these years, so we support each other and coach each other at, upon request all the time, mm -hmm. because it helps. Yeah, well, the the implementation that's one of the primary issues or challenges with ADHD. Uh -huh. ADHD know what needs to be done but can't do it. it, it yeah, it's hard. How do I get myself to do what I know I need to do? can as far as physically able or intellectually, whatever, but actually getting that step. Um, in Russell yeah. Barkley's kind of summary of ADHD is you know what to do, but you don't do what you know. That's right. And what I would add to that as an adult with ADD myself, particularly as a woman, is if I can't get myself to do what the world expects me to do and I think I should be able to do, that's going to make me anxious. Mm -hmm. And if I don't get support over time and manage that, it's going to make me depressed. Mm -hmm. so, so there's this cascading impact of all of this. And at the underneath it all is learning how to understand how the ADHD brain works, learning how to problem solve effectively, taking aim on one thing at a time, you know, I mean, again, I'm an adult with ADD. When my house gets to that point where the clutter becomes more than I can tolerate, and with a house of five mm -hmm. 
family members with ADD, you can imagine that might happen from oh, time boy. to time. <laughs> um, I have a couple of different things that we implement. One is a family rule called mise en place. And everybody knows and everybody agrees that when mom called mise en place, when the kids were younger, we would set music really loud for about 10 to 15 minutes and everybody had to stop what they were doing and just put stuff away, whatever was mm -hmm. in front of them, wherever they saw. And it, it was just to, to minimize the clutter because my tolerance for clutter is a lot lower than a lot of other members of my family. Now, mm -hmm. as, an, as an adult, when my kid's mostly out of the house, COVID notwithstanding, um, you know, I might take aim on one shelf or one drawer or one closet at a time, mm -hmm. something to help me manage, feel like I'm moving forward, but not overwhelm myself by saying, I've got to clean out my garage or I've got to clean out my whatever, because that right. would be so overwhelming, I would never do it. But if I can take aim on this one shelf or this one drawer, I can, I can get some success and keep moving through the model and keep getting it done. And that um, I'm thinking of the kind of example of the parents as, well, I want you to clean your room. Oh, God, that's so the worst. Big clean your room. And kids say, I can't. Um, where it's, let's try, or let's pick up all your socks. Find your right. socks. And it's, uh, um, your socks are trying to hide from you. Find them all. And then, okay, hey, the socks are done. What about the Legos? And, yeah. and it's little steps, and you've got success with the socks, some praise about you've got that. Um, so well, the child is learning, I, hey, I'm doing a good job. Mom likes this. And it cascades from there. Right, success breeds success. And that, let me just say, that works for older kids, not just the younger kids. I have a 20-year-old who's been in and out of the house this year and um, and recently was, was home and kind of left things in a, in a state. And when he came back, we kind of had a conversation, like, you can do better. And he's like, yeah, I can. And so we ended up in a conversation because he's kind of using two different spaces in the house now because he's older and, um, and realized that he needed a hamper in another space where he didn't have one. And the reason the clothes weren't making it into the hamper is because there was no hamper there. Mm -hmm. And so we went kind of used the model. I mean, we didn't sit down and say, okay, now we're taking aim, now we're this. We didn't do it consciously, but we absolutely used the model. And, and now we'll get a, a laundry basket for him to have upstairs. And it, it was that simple. He wasn't not throw, putting his clothes away to be a slovenly mess. He used to have a place to put them, and it didn't occur to him to ask for it. Right. And they, I think the other, I'm thinking, oh, I have to take him downstairs. And, oh, that's so much to do. Or and it kind of fits into the out of sight, out of mind. I don't think oh, yeah. a hamper here, so I'm not going to think of finding a hamper, it's, well, I guess I don't put the clothes away. Yeah, exactly. So at, I could see it then at different ages of the child, parent has to function in different styles. Yes. Um, you know, you're, it's a different style you use with a 13-year-old, or I'd say a 15-year-old who's 13, um, in developmental stage than you would with a five-year-old. You can't have the same expectations of a five-year-old or that nine-year-old in the shower. So what are right. the different, I guess, 
stages of that a parent has to look at, which is partly the expectations part, um, but then it, applying the model, I guess, in different ways at different ages. So, so there's it's a great question, and and I don't want to complicate, but I want to sort of suggest that if there's this there's this other model that we teach that we can map over this model. Because it's not a pure, you know, there are four phases that parents go through in parenting kids and that teachers go through in empowering independence in kids. And, and I'll, I'll introduce them in a minute, but I want to be really clear that they're not, it's not linear. It doesn't, mm-hmm. It's not like you use phase one up until age eight and then phase two up until right. age 14. It, it doesn't work that way because it has to do with, with the child's readiness or the teen's readiness for independence in that particular arena. So if you have a kid who's really motivated by sports and they may not need as much support, they may be more independent getting their gear ready for after school sports than they are getting their homework done. So so they're basically there are four phases. The first phase is what we call director. We all start as the director. I had a client who said to me once, once I am stuck in dictator mode. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. okay, let's try, to, let's try to look at it as director, not dictator. <laughs> exactly. But often we do become dictator, which is part of the problem. Um, and we all start there. We have to. That's how we raise little children, right? Mm-hmm. And what's happening in the director mode is we're holding the agenda. We're directing what needs to be done, and we're helping them find a motivation to do it. You know, for a kid... Doing homework, we might say, you have math and English, math and spelling to do today for a little kid, and after that, you get to go out and play, or we get to read a story, or you, whatever it is, right? We're, we're setting the parameters for success for mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and motivation for them. And then and part of what happens when you have parents of kids with executive function issues is many, many, many of us get stuck in director mode because we feel like we have to tell them because they're not going to figure it out on their own. But yeah. it's kind of a catch-22 because if we don't stop telling them, they're never going to want to figure it out on their own. Why should they bother? Right. right? Mom's going to tell me, so I don't need to. Right. Uh, I don't have to. And this is classic when kids make it all the way through high school and mom's been directing them through, and then they get to college and they fail out because they have no idea how to do anything for themselves. And this happens a lot. And right. I don't mean to blame the parent for it. It's, it's very normal. They're doing right? the best it's, they can at the time. Exactly. And so when, you, when we know better, we do better, right? So, so, mm-hmm. so phase one is director mode. The goal is to move into phase two, which is collaboration mode, as early as possible for any, any place where you're trying to foster some independence. So collaboration is when we're now beginning to share the agenda. We're still holding the agenda. Maybe it's getting their homework done or getting them dressed, mm-hmm. but they're beginning to see it too. And, and sometimes we see this really young, like, you know, when you've got four-year-old kids who, who have a particular style and they know what they want to wear, right? They're stepping in, they're asking their parents to collaborate with them so that they can hold the agenda of what they're wearing. That's great. And, and mm-hmm. we really want to encourage it because that, that's their way of having a sense of agency. And what we want is for our kids to have a sense of agency. And we want to be really careful not to shut them down which we parents tend to do because we don't agree with. Like I I had one of my kids, there was never two items of clothing that matched each other when they, when she put them on, but she Mm -hmm. felt fabulous. 
And if I could learn to be okay with that when she was four and five years old, eventually her friends were going <laughs> to redirect her. Yeah, um, yeah. Right? But, but it gave her a really strong sense of agency. So phase two is, is collaboration and beginning to share agency with our kids and beginning to help them see it as theirs. So, so one of the big shifts here, so in phase one as a, as a director, you might say your homework tonight is. Phase two, you might ask, you start asking more questions. You might say, what do you have for homework tonight? Do you know what, what your homework is tonight? Right? And they may not. And it's like, would you like some help figuring it out? So that they're beginning to see it as theirs. Right? You're using the word you more. What are you thinking? What do you want? And, mm -hmm. and not you're doing it wrong, but asking questions so that they see it as their responsibility, as whatever is being asked of them. Yes. Okay. And, I, and one easy, um, I guess, switch um, there. I see parents say, well, he, he said he didn't have any homework when they've asked. <laughs> do you have any homework right um, as opposed to asking what do you have for homework yeah very very subtle difference but really powerful mm -hmm. right nuance language becomes really important as you begin to move through these phases how we talk to our kids mm -hmm. i have a client i was working i've been working with for about a year um, of a 16 year old kid who had come out of an addiction program and um and she's a nurse and so what she was saying is that it, that's been the hardest part because English is not her first language. And really, she's, she's a nurse. She's kind of used to directing. So learning how to collaborate and have a different kind of conversation has been a lot of work for her. And a lot of it has been around the scripts and changing the language. So in phase two, we're collaborating and we're asking a lot of questions and we're helping them see it as their agenda and giving them a sense of agency and, and really sharing the agenda with them. When we move into phase three, by this point, usually our kids are a little older. Some, some kids will have areas where they're ready for this much younger. But for the most part, particularly when you have kids with ADHD, this is, you're going to be in middle school, high school before you start to really move into collaborate to, to phase three, which is support. Mm -hmm. And so in phase three, you're no longer sharing the agenda. You're now holding your child's agenda. They hold the agenda and you're supporting them in it. So you move from collaboration where it's a shared agenda, we're both working on getting, making sure you get your homework done, to support where what's your homework tonight? Is there anything you need from me? Can I help you in any way? So you're beginning to shift. And in phase three, you really not only want to be offering support, but encouraging your kids to begin to figure out what supports they need, whether it's from you or from someone else. This is when they may often be working with an executive function coach, like we have, we have student coaches at Impact Parents. Um, maybe they're at college and they're working with, with somebody in disability services who's keeping them, helping them keep themselves organized. Um, so we want them to see support as a legitimate option, as, as a necessary for self-management. But, but that support may not always be us. And it's really okay. Yeah. In, in fact, it's, it's important to encourage them to seek support where it's appropriate for them. Yeah, and I often will, you know, okay, you're finishing fifth grade, going into sixth grade, it's middle school, um, and I'll say, you know, I think the two important things to learn um, are asking for help and how to figure out your schedule and time yeah. management. 
and that takes practice. And Both of them, yeah. With some teachers, you may think, I don't want to ask that person just because the way the teacher comes across. Okay, start with a teacher that you like and ask, you know, I can't figure out this math problem or how do I do that? Most teachers appreciate that. And oh, yeah. If the child then gets success, you realize I can ask someone other than a parent. Yes. Um, the catch to that is that sometimes when we, we, we have this tendency to say, okay, it's time for my kid to self-advocate for themselves. And so mm -hmm. then we say, well, have you talked to your teacher? And what you're pointing to is so important, whether it's middle school or high school if, or even elementary school. If the kid's uncomfortable, our kids really don't want to mis displease their teachers even more than they don't want to displease their parents. Um, it may be that, that you start, again, think first, first is direct, then we move into collaborate. So they may still need you to collaborate with them a little bit. Would you like mm -hmm. my help writing an email? Would you like me to go with you to meet your teacher? They may still want you to be there with them before they're ready for you to move fully into support mode. Mm -hmm. So we have to gauge what they need. I mean, I have a 24-year-old kid who is you know, applying to medical school, incredibly effective, accomplished, independent, and will still sometimes come to me and say, can you just check this text before I send it? I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm saying the right thing because she has dyslexia and language is difficult and that's perfectly oh appropriate I'm not directing her I'm not running right. thing. it's totally her game but she's coming to me for support and that's appropriate and my son would ask me to kind of proofread his paper starting I think yeah. in sixth grade and he would often get single and singular and plural mixed up in the same sense and put those out and and I got questioning some of the content uh, let's see, I just help me look at the grammar. I don't need any help with that. Well, I got Good. this master's thesis of statistical analysis of infectious disease. And I said, <laughs> well, this is not a problem. I can look for singular and plural. I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right, me too. <laughs> I can do the grammar. Uh, I know. You know, and it's really funny because I have three kids, all with ADHD, with different manifestations. My middle kid also has dyslexia, um, and I'm a believer that dyslexia helps these kids be super effective and, and accomplished because once they learn to use systems, then they're not afraid of them. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, And so she would always ask me to proofread papers because I'm a writer and an editor, like, duh. Right. And then her younger brother would come along. He's like, I can do this. I can do this. And at some point she must have had some conversation with him and he figured out, you know, having an editor in the family may not be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe it's OK to ask for a little bit of could you proofread this? And mm -hmm. and for me as a parent, what's really important when you're in that phase, when you move into support phase is to let them guide you is to ask them, what do you need from me? There are times where my kids would call from a college and I'd say, what do you need from me right now? Do you need a mom? Do you need a coach? Do you need a poor, what we call it a poor baby? Mm -hmm. Do you just need me to say, oh, sweetie, I'm sorry? You know, like, what do you need? And to really let them guide me in what they need from me so that they are, they are still feeling empowered and owning whatever it is they're asking for help with. It's a, it's a really nuanced twist. It is. But it has a huge impact. Ask permission before you offer advice. Once you're moving into support phase, y'all do not offer advice without getting the permission to give it to them. Nobody likes that. You don't, you don't like it from other people. 
right? And I think it's very easy for a parent to assume that's my job. Back to, oh, the director, you want me to fix it? Uh, or, or as a parent, or as a parent, it's my job to teach them these things. And right. let me tell you, after puberty, it's your job to help them learn things. But that doesn't necessarily mean they want you to be the teacher. Yeah. Right? And so our job is to say, I have a thought about that. Would you like to hear it? I have some insight. I have a story that might be helpful. Do you want to hear it? Can I, can I mm -hmm. offer some advice to you on this? But not to assume that they have to learn to see it the way we see it. I mean, I've just been dealing with something with, with one of my young adult kids is in their mid-20s. And I do not see it the same way they do. And, and mm -hmm. I've, that's my issue, not theirs. Right? I can't, I can let them know what my opinion is. I can ask and offer, you know, would you like to hear my thoughts? But I, it's, you know, it's no longer my decision. They're an adult. And that mm -hmm. starts way younger than we realize. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. we went through phases three. I just want to hit phase four really quickly. Phase four is the one we all want to get to, and I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> phase four is, is championing. It's celebrating. It's moving into that phase where you're the sage advisor and they're coming to you for counsel. You know, and I think I've, my mom's been in phase four with me for the last probably 30, 40 years or whatever. Um, and I still go to her when I need to think through something or, or have a question or want to process something. And she's not telling me what to do. She's letting me live my life, and she's my best supporter and my best champion. And that's where we want to be. We want to be in long-term relationship with our kids. Ideally, that's why most of us had kids. And to do that, we need to move through these four phases to understand that you're probably going to be in collaboration and support most of their developmental years and well into their 20s, because our kids' frontal lobe, they're not fully cooked until their mid to late 20s. Yeah, and I and think even, probably once they move into their 30s is when you really start moving more into champion mode, if your kid's they, independent and has launched. With uh, ADHD, um, it's both from brain imaging, but also just kind of looking at the stages. People with ADHD get to the mature brain, everything's working as far as, as best it can in the executive functions in that front part of the brain may take to age 27 or 28 just brain structure. Yeah, um, exactly. And people who are neurotypical, it takes till age 25. It's not, exactly. oh, okay, you're an adult by some definition, you're 21, therefore you can do everything. And the brain matures in terms of the insulation of nerves and all the connections and everything from the back to the front. The mm -hmm. frontal, right, even the most front part of the brain, that's where this executive function happens. And uh, yeah. when I first read that, I thought, oh, that's why car insurance rates change at age 25. Yes. <laughs> and that's just straight data. There are more accidents under that, and there are fewer afterwards. That, exactly. Not any, let's analyze anything in the brain. It's just here are the numbers, and at age 25, they start to change. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's bottom-line numbers, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be later.
And some people yeah. with ADHD, it may not happen without a lot of help. You know, it can be to your 42, and I'm thinking, and you still haven't gotten the hang of this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, David, in, in my work during the pandemic, and I was talking to you earlier about what it was like to be a, a parent and coach in the pandemic, um, and it was it, it was definitely something different than anything I've ever experienced in my life. I ended up doing a, a huge amount of work with parents of young adults. Um, mm. Because, and when I say young adults, I'm talking about kids in their mid to late 20s and even into their 30s. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've even, I've had conversations with parents of kids even in their 40s, but but really I've been doing work mostly with parents of kids throughout their 20s and their early 30s. Um, and these are kids with ADHD, kids on the autism spectrum, kids with anxiety, um, you know, and, and what I've learned in this process, and it's been incredibly heartwarming and difficult and enlightening, and, um, is that the relationship is key. And that for most parents of, of teens and young adults, when the relationship gets fractured, and that often happens because you get stuck in director mode, and you're fearful for the for your child's success and safety. Um, you really have to move back into that collaboration mode, and you really need to work on the relationship. Nothing nothing else can go forward until you've strengthened the relationship with with your mm-hmm. kid, because so that's the place. That's the trust, right? And as long as they feel threatened and they don't feel a sense of trust. They're not going to have honest conversations with you, and yep. they're going to tell you what you want to hear, and or they're going to avoid difficult conversations. So, and that goes. I mean, again, you know, I have kids in their mid to late twenties, and I'm still, you know, occasionally kind of going, okay, we need to step back and need to build some relationship here because that conversation happened or didn't happen, and so that says something to me. And it's not that not I'm not judging the child for avoiding. I'm looking at an avoidance and saying, okay, what did I do? What prevented them from feeling that they could trust me with that, that they could come to me with that? And part of it is they want to individuate and they want to do their own thing, and I get that. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, that, that old, old adage of what part of the problem am I, what role am I playing, it's really important as a parent. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you mentioned maybe what I think is a, a key part all the way along when it's not working, when there's a, a shouting match, when um, maybe there isn't and and parent goes away muttering, boy, what am I going to do, is to step back. Um, step back and take a, an overview. And as child matures, each needs to step back. And um, it's something kids can learn how to do. Parents need to learn, okay, things are getting too heated here. Let's step back and get back together in 10 minutes and talk about that. But that's realizing the intensity right now isn't helping. Let's get a an overview. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, it, sometimes we have to diffuse, we have to pull back and you know what we often say to parents of teens and young adults is stop having every conversation be about what they're not doing or school or responsibilities or your worries 
and go out to lunch, go to a movie, go ball, yeah. you know, go do something to get a reconnect. Yeah, um, take a break from that uh, that aspect of it. And we're going to need to take a break at this point. I've been talking with Elaine Taylor Klaus, who is the founder of ImpactParents.com and the author of The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids. So, Elaine, it's wonderful to talk with you, and we'll be continuing this conversation. Lovely. Thanks for having me, David. Be well. This is Dr. David Pomeroy signing off for ADHD Focus. Focus.